0: Take your copy of God's Word and find Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Tonight we will consider the Word of the Lord from Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. Chapter 2, the first 10 verses as we think tonight about this subject, sin, salvation, and service. Sin, salvation, And service. Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, penned these words for the edification of those first-century Ephesian followers of Christ, and for the edification of all of us gathered here tonight. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed. The ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the Spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Most of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, and following its evil, excuse me, and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by work, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we think tonight about sin, salvation, and service. I want you to consider consider with me, first of all, in verses 1 through 3, the matter of sin, which is our past state by nature. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. He's writing to believers, those who profess their faith in Jesus, and uh, who obviously follow him in the waters of believers' baptism. They were a part of this church that the Apostle Paul established, you can read about it, in the book of Acts, and he's reflecting in the past. He's saying to those Ephesian Christians, this is who you were before you came to faith in Christ. You were a sinner, it was your past state, and you were a sinner by nature. we're not a sinner because we sin, we sin because we're a sinner. A sinner is just being true to his or her Adamic, sinful, fleshly nature. Now in these first three verses, Paul uses, uh, Paul describes the status or the state of a believer uh, as before he or she came to faith in Christ. And this is the description of every one of you who are in Christ before you came to Christ. And for those in this room tonight who have not yet embraced Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this is what God says about you. It's not a pretty picture. First of all, I want you to see in verse one, in our past state by nature we were dead spiritually dead. Verse one, as for you, you Ephesians, you were past tense dead in your transgressions and sins. Now, what a dead person needs is not forgiveness. What a dead person needs is life. Uh, In this case, death is not the separation of of the spirit from the body, which we think of as physical death. This is spiritual death. It is the separation of the soul from, the, from, from, from God. And we are dead in our spirit apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. Eternal life is not just living forever and ever. It's knowing God. In his high priestly prayer recorded for us in John's Gospel chapter 17, Jesus said, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So eternal life is a relationship with Jesus. It's knowing the Lord Jesus Christ and a man or a woman who does not have a saving relationship with Jesus is D-E-A-D, dead, spiritually. Now, you may be the president of the the Junior League or the Chamber of Commerce. You may be some society leader or you may be a derelict sleeping on the streets. But if you don't know Jesus, you are dead. The Bible is quite clear about that. Many years ago, I, I, I read in the Sunday paper about an old farmer who died. He was in his, like, I don't know, maybe 80 something years old. He'd lived his whole life and they say, the article said, all, the only thing he ever wore was overalls and a work shirt. But when they took the, the corpse to the funeral home, they put him in one of those funeral home suits. I don't know this to be true, but I'm told they don't have a back in them because you don't need the back. All you see is the front. Somebody confirm that for me sometime. Well, his wife and children were so impressed with how good he looked with a suit, a white shirt and a necktie on, they asked the undertaker if they could prop him up and make a picture of him to remember him by. Now, fact of the matter is he's still physically dead. And uh, if you don't know Jesus, you are spiritually dead. I was dead before I came to know Christ, you know Christ, you were dead before you came to know Christ. There it is, verse one, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Number two, this is our state by nature before we know Christ, number two, look in verse two, devilish, not only dead but devilish. Verse two, in which you used to live, past tense, when you followed the ways of this world, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Who is that? That is the devil. So a man or woman apart apart from Christ is not only dead but devilish. And uh, Jesus uh, on one occasion said to some religious leaders, you are of your father the devil. And Jesus said, the thief, that's the devil, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He comes to enslave you. The, the devil is an enslaver. You say, well, no, I'm free to do what I want to. No, you're not. You're, you're, you're free to do what the devil wants you to, but you're not free to do what God wants you to do because you don't know Christ. You're devilish. Uh, we're not free to do what we ought because we're in the bondage of the adversary, apart from Christ. Dead, devilish, latter part of verse 2, disobedient. Look again in, the, in verse 2. At the spirit who is now at work, that's the evil spirit, that's the devil, who is now at work, and those who are disobedient, that's where... Uh, that's where death comes in. You remember when uh, God made the first man and the first woman, Adam and Eve, and placed them in the garden and he said, you are free to eat of the fruit of any tree in this garden except this one tree, this tree of the knowledge of good and evil and in the day in which you eat of it, you will surely die. They took of the forbidden fruit. They died immediately in their spirit, but wrestled in their soul and ultimately in their body. But they they died. The beginning of death comes with disobedience. And so this characterizes all of mankind apart from Jesus Christ. Disobedient, devilish, dead. Number four, depraved. Look in verse three. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature. We're all but depraved apart from Christ. Now, I'm not trying to be offensive, I'm just trying to be descriptive of what the Bible teaches. Uh, to talk about the depravity of the human race is not to say that we're as bad as we could be, I expect uh, during his preschool years, Adolf Hitler had a few good deeds. His mama was probably proud of him. But we all have a a depraved nature. We have a a fallen nature. We have a a nature at enmity with God. The the prophet uh, Jeremiah says the heart, the heart of mankind is deceitful and desperately wicked. And Paul took the whole second half of the third chapter of Romans to describe the depraved nature of the human race apart from faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Almost 100 years ago, maybe more like 90 years ago now, Whitaker Chambers was a very famous writer and he was a very famous uh, communist, part of the Communist Party. He was radically transformed when he had a saving encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. He wrote a book about it called Witness. Whitaker Chambers said, quote, man without God is a beast and never more beastly than when he is most intelligent about his beastliness. And so apart from Christ, we have a nature hostile to God. We're not good. A little baby in the delivery room comes in rebellion against God. You don't have to teach your newborn son or daughter to disobey. They, that's just standard equipment. That comes with every child. Here, here's the issue. The heart of the problem is the problem of the human heart. Now, I've been saying that to you... for decades but it's true the heart of the problem is the problem of the human heart so we're apart from Christ dead devilish disobedient depraved now look in the last part of verse 3 doomed absolutely eternally doomed verse 3 All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Now look at this next sentence. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Uh, If you're apart from Christ, you're you're doomed unless you repent and believe. You are are even now the object of the wrath of God. The Lord Jesus said... uh, He who believes is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. It's not that you choose against God, you're already under the, the judgment of God, the wrath of God unless you repent. And the fact that you still are sitting up and drawing breath and you're still among the land of the living it's just simply an expression of God's mercy. What did uh, the apostle Peter write? Second Peter chapter three, God is not one that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Every time you hear the gospel message, it's one more offer of God's saving grace, God's mercy to you. Apart from Christ, when you get the judgment of God, you are only getting what you deserve. He said, I'm not that bad. Well, then you don't understand the holiness of God. Because when you, when you understand the holiness of God and when you see our thrice holy God in all of his glory, then you will see yourself as Isaiah saw himself and you will say what Isaiah said, woe is me, I'm undone, I'm, an un, I'm a man of unclean lips. It's not a pretty picture that Paul paints here in Ephesians chapter two, verses one through three. Dead, devilish, disobedient, depraved, and doomed. That is our past state if we're in Christ. That is our past state by nature. That is the present state of those who are not in Christ. We're talking tonight about sin, salvation, and service. Second, let's think about salvation, our present standing by grace, verses 4 through 9. Salvation, our present standing by grace. I'm going to say this again, but I'm going to go ahead and say it right now. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone in Christ Jesus alone. You, you miss that. You, you, you miss salvation. There are a lot of counterfeits out there. A lot of substitutes, plenty of false teachers, a lot of them on the television and the radio. Be careful who you listen to. Now, first of all, think about the position of our salvation. Verses 4, 5, and 6 because of his great love for us God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions for it is by grace you have been saved and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus now in verse 4 we see this word mercy verse 5 we see this word grace they're like Opposite sides of a coin, they go together. You get mercy, you get grace, you get grace, you get mercy, but they're not the same. I want to try to make this distinction clear in in your thinking tonight. This is not new if you've been around any while. Mercy is that which God withholds from us which we deserve, grace is that which God gives to us that we don't deserve. Let Let me give this to you again. Mercy is that which God withholds from us which we do deserve. What do you and I deserve? We deserve to go to hell. Grace is that which God gives us that we do deserve, that we don't deserve. Heaven. You don't deserve to go to heaven. I don't deserve to go to heaven. Nobody deserves to go to heaven. You stand before the Lord someday and he says, why should I let you into my heaven? You say, well, I'm a pretty good fella." It won't work. So this is really, really good. Verses uh, 5 and 6 and, and, and uh, 7 here. Uh, this is our position of salvation. First we read in verse 5, our position is we've been made alive with Christ. Look again in verse 5. The God who is rich in mercy has made us alive with Christ, even we were dead in transgression. So we were dead, we've been made alive. Spiritually dead made spiritually alive. Now what does a dead man need? Let me spell it out for you. L I F E life. life. <laughs> you know we have some some liberal preachers who don't believe much of the Bible. And they have some unbiblical ideas about salvation. Just follow the example of Jesus. He was a good teacher. Try to encourage people to, you know, your best life now. Here's some good advice. we don't preach good advice, we preach good news. Is a difference. You can find some good advice not far. You need some good news. Get them in a good environment get them out of the slums, get them educated, education is the answer to everything. We just need to get everybody educated. Well, one of the most highly educated uh, generations in human history was uh, Nazi Germany in the 1930s. Now, think about it like this. Here's Here's a corpse laid out up here. So if I'm one of those good example uh, preachers, I'm going to say to the corpse, uh, you just need to do some deep knee bends. Well, that won't work. Not a heartbeat in his body. Or I might say, uh, hey, get up, get up. You can do it. I know you can. I've got confidence in you. You're a good person. He's still laid out dead. Dead. Or maybe i, I put him in a, in a good environment, in a perfect environment. That'll do it, just get him in a... You know, you, you get him in an environment with a bunch of live people and it'll just kind of rub off on him. I remind you, Adam and Eve were in a perfect environment when they fell. And then education, here's 20 lessons on life now, uh, that, that's ludicrous. You and I know that, but that's what some people are trying to say to us about what salvation is. I want to say it again. What a dead man needs is life. And Nicodemus I was a great moral religious leader for the, uh, on the Sanhedrin, but Jesus said, you, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. He said it not once, not twice, but three times. Now, who do you and I think we're gonna fool ourselves in thinking we're gonna get in the kingdom apart from the new birth, spiritual life, regeneration, the, the, the radical transforming power of the Spirit of God to take those of us who are spiritually dead and make us life. Salvation is being made alive with Christ. It's not getting the sick people well, it's getting the dead people alive. You say, well, this is miraculous. Indeed, it is. Number next, not only made alive with Christ, verse 6, raised up with Christ. Verse 6, and God raised us up with Christ. Indeed, he has. All of those of us who are Christians, we've been not only made alive, but we've been raised up with Christ. We are in Christ. This is our position. Whether we're in Auburn or whether we're in Europe or Asia, we are in Christ. And then third, seated with Christ, look in verse 6, seated with him, seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. The heavenly realm is not heaven. The heavenly realms is, is where we are. It's our position in Christ. We've been raised up, we've been made alive in Christ, raised up with Christ. I'm in Christ. Christ is in me. Christ, the hope of glory. He said, like, well, Brother Al, I don't think I understand that fully. Really. That's okay. I don't either. But I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying my position in Christ. So there is, the, there is the position of our salvation. Made alive with Christ, raised up with Christ, seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. That, that is our position in Christ. There is no higher position than that. I'm sorry, President Biden, but I'm in Christ. I'm in a higher position than you. Or, or name your leader, whoever you want to name. That, that's our birthright. That's our, that's our heritage. That's who we are. Next, see with me about the purpose of salvation in verse 7. Why did God save us? In order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Hmm. The coming ages, that's like forever. In glory. Our destiny. In the coming ages, we will show His grace. The incomparable, that is, you can't compare it with anything else, the incomparable riches of His grace. So that means we got things to learn in heaven. We get to heaven, heaven will be the school, God will be the teacher, grace will be the subject, we will be the students, and the term will be for all eternity. That means that we are not gonna know everything in heaven. We're gonna be students of the incomparable riches of God's grace in Christ Jesus forever and ever and forever. Sign me up, I wanna go to that school. It's to glorify God, not just to keep us out of the lake of fire. That's just sort of a little side benefit there. A pretty big one, but it's not about us. It's about Jesus and the glory of God. Then the procedure of salvation, verses 8 and 9. This is one of the great statements in all the Bible. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, it is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. So here's the procedure, here what it is, grace, by grace through faith. That's what salvation is, that's the procedure, by grace through faith. Here's what it is not, not by works. It is by, it is through, it is to. Salvation is the gift of God. The Apostle Paul said that to the, uh, to the Romans. The wages of sin is death, he said, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Salvation is not a reward for the righteous. Salvation is uh, it's a gift for the guilty Salvation is not merit for mankind. Salvation is the mercy of God. Salvation is not spelled D-O-D, but D-O-N-E-Done. When Jesus was on the cross, he cried out, it is finished. He was announcing for all of humanity that the sin debt that you and I could never, ever pay had been paid by Jesus on the cross with his shed blood. It was Finished. There's nothing else to do that we can uh, seek to do in order to be reconciled and made right with God. And yet, a lot of folks are confused about this. We have a lot of cultural Christianity in this part of the United States. You have so many counterfeit ways that people think about what it, how to be reconciled with God church membership, look, I believe in church membership. I've given my entire adult life to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Baptism, I just get baptized, get my sins washed away. Look, you can be baptized in the Atlantic Ocean, the Pacific Ocean, the Indian Ocean, or to quote Andrew Griffith, old man Kelsey's pond. So that every fish in the pond knows you by first name. That's not salvation. Some folks say, well, I just live a good, clean, moral life. I pay my taxes. I don't cheat anybody. I'm a good neighbor. I help people out in need. Good. We need more of that. That's not salvation. If you think that's salvation, you have underestimated the exceeding sinfulness of your wicked devilish, depraved, disobedient heart. May I suggest tonight that the worst form of badness is human goodness that becomes a substitute for the new birth. If you want to be saved, there's only one way. You must trust Jesus. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. None. And uh, faith is putting our trust, our weight upon Him, upon His finished substitutionary work on Calvary's cross. It's not just believing about, it's not even believing Jesus uh, is the Son of God, or believing that Jesus was born of a virgin, or believing in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. James said the devil believes all, all of this. It's not, it's not intellectual assent, it's putting your weight on him. You can say about a famous surgeon, I really believe he's a great surgeon, but you don't really believe that unless you're willing to go on the operating table and have him put you to sleep and have him work on you. I, I, I believe in the, this pilot. I believe he could fly this big jumbo jet and fly me from here to Europe. But you don't really believe in him unless you board the plane and let him take off with you sitting in a seat somewhere. That's what faith is. You, you're casting yourself totally upon the mercy and grace of God. Look at these verses again, verses eight and nine. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is not by works, because by works you would boast. not by works, so no one can boast. All your good deeds, whatever they may be, are insufficient to gain you right standing with God. If you could uh, earn your salvation, you'd boast, look at me, look at me, I made myself right with God. If you could earn your own salvation, the death of Christ was unnecessary. If you could earn your own salvation, what God the Father put upon God the Son on Calvary's cross is absolutely unspeakably cruel. But it wasn't cruel because it is the only way by which we can be reconciled to God. If you could save yourself and you would be your own savior and then you would worship yourself and then that would be idolatry. You say, well, how about faith in Jesus plus my good works? That doesn't work either because then you have two saviors. And then you're schizophrenic. Don't miss this. Salvation is by grace alone through faith alone in Christ Jesus alone and if anybody tells you otherwise he or she is a false teacher. Amen. Period. Sin, salvation. Now finally verse 10 service, our continual mission as God's workmanship. Our continual mission is God's workmanship verse 10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Uh, God works salvation in us, and then we express that salvation by doing good works for his glory. It is God's work, not our work, but we are expressing through our good deeds the reality of our faith in Christ we don't do the good deeds to gain standing with God because we have right standing with God we want to express our love for God by be involved in works of ministry it says in verse 10 we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works he made us to serve him and uh He did this in advance. God prepared these good works in advance for us to do. Like He didn't prepare them like last week. How about eternity past? In eternity past God put His grace on us, loved us, drew us to Himself, quickened us, made us alive in Christ Jesus, raised us up with Him, seated us with Him in heavenly places when we trust Him for our salvation and then once we are saved, then we do the good works to express our love for the Savior. Works are not the root, works are the fruit. And every single one of us who is in Christ Jesus has been given one or more spiritual gifts that gives us supernatural ability to serve the body of Christ. No one is left out. So there's the sequence. Sin, all of us are there Do we come to Christ. Salvation in Christ. And then once we come to Christ, we serve him faithfully. Now, most of us in this room know Jesus. But I'm persuaded in assembly of this many people, there's probably several who've never yet put their faith and trust in Jesus. But you can tonight. And as we do, whenever we gather in this room on Sunday morning or Sunday evening, we proclaim the gospel, we invite sinners to repent and believe and be saved. And you can be saved tonight if you will repent and believe. Jesus will not cast you away if you come to him. So as our musicians come to prepare to lead us to sing our closing song, the invitation is for you to trust Christ. So pastor will be here and here and here and here to help you know Christ. We stand together and sing.